Hi everyone and welcome to the Paperless Movement Podcast. I'm Tom Solid, your host for this show and I cannot wait to get this started to level up your digital life to improve the efficiency of your productivity systems. And we will do this by discussing with different guests on this show, like my Inner Circle members showing their productivity systems and the challenges they had, but also with the CEOs and product managers from the latest and greatest software and hardware solutions when it comes to productivity. Today we will have on the show Ian Small, the CEO of Evernote, and we have a lot to discuss there, so let's roll it! I think let's get started. This is really awesome. And um, I recommend really listening until the end of the podcast because we will dive deep behind the scenes of Evernote where we'll actually also address the comparison between Notion and Rome Research and the difference between reminding and thinking and all the AI capabilities we could have there. That's really exciting stuff there. But we also will talk about the comments you had on my YouTube video. So if you don't know about my YouTube channel, just go there, Paperless Movement, you will find it. And on these videos, you had loads of different comments about the re latest release of Evernote 10 and the desktop version and the features missing and all this. So all of this will be addressed in this episode. So I think without further ado, welcome to the show, Ian. I'm more than happy to be here. And I'm also happy to straighten out the first and most important question you had at your last a show which was it's Ian not Iron. Yeah. Oh Ian yeah, you watched it. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So Ian LinkedIn actually told me that you joined Evernote um, just after the rebranding started. So was it you triggering all the whole thing, or what was your motivation to join Evernote? Maybe you can tell us more about the backgrounds there. Yeah, I, I think um, I joined Evernote uh, just a little under two years ago now, uh, right at the beginning of November uh, 2018. Um, I was uh, asked by the board to, to come and, and take a look uh, and, and see what uh, I thought should be done. The, the board thought, as I think all the users knew at that point, that things were a bit stuck. Um, in the company, um, and uh, they felt that um, uh, the fact that I came from a product and engineering background um, was in the set of skills that they thought they, they needed leading the company uh, at that point. Um, and so that's, that's why they asked me to join. I've, I've known um, uh, some of the people on the board at Evernote for um, a very long time. Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's an existing trust relationship between us uh, in terms of I trusted them and they trusted me. And so um, I thought I, uh, I agreed I would come in and, and take a look. And uh, that was very much the, the point at which, um, you know, the, the idea that we could actually tackle this problem of being stuck at the root of it, which was fundamentally, you know, that over the course of 10 years, we'd built up an enormous amount of product and technical debt um, and that it was really stopping us from moving forward. I mean, you know, the, the rate at which we were able to innovate and ship was, was severely constrained. Uh, and, and, and that was really the point at which I think at the board level, the company made the decision that they were willing to contemplate taking that problem on. And, um, 
they brought me aboard and I was the person who um, was bold enough. Uh, it would be the positive spin. Crazy enough might be the other. Mm, I'm bold uh, enough actually. To actually <laughs> take it on and say, yeah, actually, really, we can't just keep, you know, ignoring this and pushing it into a corner. We have to actually tackle the root of the situation that we find ourselves in, not keep putting Band-Aids on it. Yeah. And um, I, I can, I can feel with you actually, or with Evernote, because um, I'm using Evernote. It was one of the very first note-taking apps or knowledge management apps. I actually used it mostly for document management, as my following knows, for all the automations I have in there and so on. But I can absolutely feel with you because I also have a background with uh, product management and um, as a business analyst, and I know how long it takes to change things. I mean, first of all, to build an uh, application. And that's nothing different, I would say. You had to start from scratch. That's my point of view. Um, you know, you're talking about you had to fix the basics. That sounds for people, you know, uh, okay, so that that can't take that long. And obviously for the users, two years are really long. They have to work yep. and they have to rely on the productivity system they're using on a daily basis. However, I absolutely understand this is not done within a month. And obviously when you even just start to, to get the journey right and the vision and all this, um, I just want to say at this point, this was a really big undertaking and I was following this, that, that sounded really good. But maybe you can give us an insight from your point of view, what's been going on in the past, uh, in the past two years. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, people think of, of, uh, of Evernote as, as, as the interface that they use and the app that they use. They don't realize that there's, you know, obviously an entire... Um, product stack behind there, reaching all the way back into the cloud with cloud-based systems and protocols and, 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 and not obviously the, the code that sits inside the app and, um, and the UX itself, the thing that they experience. Um, and, and, and really, uh, we had challenges sort of at every layer um, in that stack. I, I know for for years, if I go and read the forums, you know, people have been asking, why don't you just add, you know, feature X? Mm. It seems so simple. It's like, well, mm -hmm. uh, it turns out it's not actually so simple. If and, you have an and old people framework, don't understand how, yeah. how stuck we were, right? I mean, we were, we were at a place where um, to introduce it, some features that we might have wanted to build would have required us changing the schema of um, uh, the databases, the database systems that we run in the cloud but there was no longer enough capacity in those systems to actually change the database schema while the systems were running. Mm. And there wasn't a bigger system to put them on. They were already on the biggest systems available. Mm -hmm. uh, so it wasn't like, we'll just put it on a system twice as big and it will be fine. And so you sit there and you're like, so you tell me I can't actually introduce this feature because I can't change the schema. They said, well, yeah, you could take the system offline for eight hours. Uh, and then we could change the schema and we could put it back on again. But you can't take Evernote offline for eight hours. That's not really an option. Not and really. so uh, when you look at the amount of work we needed to do, um, yes, there was trying to figure out how to come up with a, an interface and a design that would be coherent and consistent across all the devices. And that's obviously the thing that people see most. Mm. 
than it was underneath it, um, revising the protocols that we use for communicating uh, between the client and the cloud to allow us, give us the flexibility to be able to start to do new things in the future. And then it was rebuild the cloud systems so we weren't constrained um, by the cloud systems. And, and if you watch the entire behind the scenes video series, you will see aspects of each of those things. Yeah. But obviously the behind the scenes video series only touches sort of one quarter of what we did because a lot of it is just not translatable in any uh, way to a, to a normal human being who isn't like, you know, a low level code engineer uh, to make any sense of it. So we try and pulled out the things that were most understandable and talked about those. But the level of work we did across the board was was fairly remarkable. And the challenge isn't just that we are building this really very complex and powerful app. It's that we have to do it while the app is actually running. Yeah. Um, it's pretty straightforward to architect a modern cloud storage system for the kind of uh, the kind of uh, data that we have in Evernote that users store in Evernote. That's not actually that hard. Mm taking the existing Evernote and moving it to that system while nobody notices, yeah. that's hard. Yeah, obviously, um, because if you just copy paste, um, there's already updated data on the old system again. So you really exactly have to correct. make it In the time it takes seamlessly. you to copy stuff from system one to system two, yeah. what's on system one has already changed. And then uh, pray that everything works afterwards. Uh, yeah, I yeah. absolutely understand this. Um, so... Yes, it was a big undertaking. And I think what people also need to understand when we look at Notion and all these no, new um, knowledge management systems coming up there, they use already the new infrastructure, what we have there. They already have all the devices in place. And I mentioned this in a, in a video as well, that Evernote was actually, they start, it was uh, started in 2000, isn't it? So there was no yes. there was no iPad really around or something no, that you and, that you can have in mind. I mean, nobody thought about how we use smartphones today. Um, that you have all this, so I think it was already working very well on all the different devices. But um, and the undertaking to make the UI seamlessly that was a that was a big step. A lot of the decisions that were made made all the sense in the world at the time. They were good yeah. decisions. It's yeah. just that over 10 years, all of a sudden you're like, ah, okay, that's not what we would do now. And we're constrained in all these ways. So that's the challenge. It's, it's in a lot of ways, um, you know, our success and the fact that we are long lived and the fact that we've had hundreds of millions of users you know, that actually created lots and lots and lots of our problems. Mm. Uh, so, you know. It's like in the gaming right. industry, isn't it? Maybe people can more relate to this. So in the gaming industry, you see all the awesome new graphics you could do with your graphics card, but you wonder why are those games not as awesome as these engines nowadays? Right. And the thing is, because development started three or four or five years ago when the engine wasn't yes. there yet. So right. maybe Evernote has now an advantage that now you um, go to the newest technology um, compared to others who started a few years ago because they will end up in 10 years that um, they have to restart everything. Um, is I, that, is I that... believe at this point we have, we have a pretty interesting situation because... Uh, You know, we've gone from a world and, and the transformation that we've been going through over the last two years has been going from a world where our engineering team, which is much larger than anybody else's engineering team in the industry that we're in, just because we're bigger, um, uh, 
but our engineering team has been spread very, very, very thin mm -hmm. because everything they build, they have to build five times for five different applications. And, you know, the, the, the way that the cloud was architected meant we had to have people working on all these different things. Um, you know, to, today, as we work through this process of getting the new clients out and, and, and uh, getting them in a place where everybody is happy for them, it becomes much more efficient for us to actually deliver new features, which means that that large scale engineering team actually, instead of being spread very thin and moving slowly, gets to start focusing on things and starts to move very quickly. And, and I believe that is very much, um, you know, the place that, that we are starting to find ourselves in. Uh, and, and, uh, and I'm really looking forward um, to, to sort of the next year. I mean, one of the things that I've, I've said, and, and I'll say here as well, is I fully expect in the next 12 months, we will ship more than we've shipped in the last five years. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that actually is the objective. The uh, understanding that users for a two-year journey haven't seen much of anything, and now they're seeing the new apps, they think the new apps are the objective. In fact, the new apps are the platform. Yeah. Um, and, and the new apps are the platform for delivering this objective of being able to move at speed in the market with the scale that we have. Um, and that's really where we're trying to get to. And you talk about like modern architectures, all of these things are what will contribute to the speed we believe we'll be able to show in market. Yeah. And uh, in this regards, a word that always comes up are these electron apps that you use for the clients. Um, Maybe you can just explain to the community what this is really all about and why you chose to take them. Yeah, and I think um, one of the things that that we um, decided early on is that we had to stop writing every feature five times. Mm. Um, and and there's actually reasons for that that are um, there's reasons obviously that are good for the company because we get to do less work in order to ship something. But as actual, the real reasons for that are user centric, right? Because when we build things five times, then, um, you know, A, we have five different sets of bugs. Uh, you know, so we have sort of one fifth the QA coverage. Um, uh, we also have um, the problem where things get implemented differently on different devices. And any of our users has experienced the fact that they can do something Uh, on their like old Windows client and not be able to see it on their iPhone. And that's just crazy. Yeah. Um, so we'd like to have that more consistent experience. So we knew we wanted, instead of writing things many times, to write things only a few times, maybe once, uh, but at most only a few times. And to do that, we had to choose um, some set of frameworks to work with. So everybody can kind of agree and is happy with the first part of what I said. And as soon as you get to, so we have to choose some kind of frameworks, that's when it gets exciting. Yeah. Because as soon as you start looking at frameworks, of course, uh, opinion comes out really quickly about what is good and what is bad. Because any kind of framework that you want to choose has pros and cons to it. And yeah. depending on where you personally, you know, uh, Uh, stand out in uh, on those issues, you know, you can you can have a pretty strong point of view, and um, you know, we in, in the in the tech business we call those technology religious wars when people are just like this is an unadulterated good and this is an unadulterated bad and I cannot be changed from my point of view, and so one of the decisions we made early on was that um, uh, we decided that the right implementation language for us. Uh, for 
you know, 80% of the code we were going to write was JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and JavaScript is a language like any other language. You can build anything you want in JavaScript. For us, the reasons for JavaScript were interesting was not just that it was portable across all of our device platforms, but also that we could use it in the cloud. And in fact, there are things we are doing today that rely on running exactly the same code on the device that we're running in the cloud and knowing that that code is literally identical. Um, uh, And so we decided on JavaScript and on deciding that we then need a container uh, for a desktop world to run JavaScript in. And we decided on Electron as that container. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people like to say immediately, oh, well then it's just a web app. And it's like, well, no, it's not a web app because a web app is what you run in in your browser, right? our Windows application maintains a local store, works while it's offline, like does all the things that you would expect of an app. Yes, there are choices we make that make certain trade-offs in that process. Um, one of those choices is that we embrace fewer of the local interface elements and instead go for a more consistent interface across the devices. Mm-hmm. And that's usually the thing that people react most to yeah. um, when, they look at, when they look at this issue. But at the end of the day, that comes down to how many times are we going to write this application? Um, and, you know, there uh, for us, uh, after doing a lot of research, this looked like the right set of trade-offs to make to get to the goal line we were trying to get to. Yeah. So thank you very much for the explanation here. But talking about um, harmonization between the different apps. So that was ov- obviously the ultimate goal here. Um, <clears throat> I wonder too, when I look at the new desktop version, that we have some, fe- uh, well, you mentioned it already, people complain that features go away. Um, that's one point um, that we will come when a community question come up. But what I personally uh, are interested in is when I look at this and I go to the new node feature, maybe I missed this part, but when I use it on the iOS, I can do um, um, audio recording and, and a lot of different things that I can't do on a desktop. And Then I started to wonder, oops, I thought I have a harmonized version now. And it makes sense in an old desktop version that you know not many people had a webcam and so on. But just now, (laughs) I could just record everything into Evernote. I think you get what I mean. So our thinking around this is that um, we're trying to create uh, a coherent and consistent Evernote experience that makes sense for the device that you are on. So the objective is not simply to lift and shift, uh, you know, the experience from what we call a large screen device, your desktop, mm-hmm. your laptop, whatever, and somehow shrink that and make it make sense on a phone. Um, uh, what we want to do is make sure that people, if they have used, uh, if they've used the uh, Evernote on a laptop or on a desktop and they install Evernote for the first time on a phone, it should feel immediately familiar to them and they should know where to find things. They should know how to do things. Things should be more or less where they expect them to be, but it has to be adapted to the form factor and it has to make sense for the capabilities of that device. So to your point, yes, the, the phone focuses more on things like capturing from the camera and capturing from audio and these things which which are sort of more um, inherent capabilities to the phone, the desktop over time will worry more about capturing from the desktop and sources of input like that 
than necessarily from uh, the webcam. We haven't had a lot of demand from people wanting to take pictures of themselves from the webcam. Uh, I because, was talking about because voice it faces recording, them actually. for the most part. Yeah. Uh, over time, if that turns out to be a demand, yes, we'll put it there. But we're not trying to make the apps identical. We're trying to make them make sense. And probably the closest place you can see that is in the editor, the note editor, which is obviously the center of a lot of things in Evernote. The, the editor interface is obviously completely different because you can't make the same interface make sense on both platforms. But we try and reveal as much of the functionality as we can, and we'll keep making progress on that over time. Um, but we adapt it for the form factor. And the same thing will fundamentally be true of, um, of devices. You know, one of, one of the things that it's easy to do on your phone is take your phone, hold it up to a document, click a picture and get it scanned. Yeah. We just don't see as rea realistic that I'm, I'm going to, you know, pick up a document and hold it in front of my webcam here and take a picture of it. It just, that doesn't feel to us like a realistic um, mode. Yeah. But whereas, you know, importing a PDF uh, easily off your desktop, that's a thing we want to be able to do on a desktop app. I, I, I think this just shows that it is not just a web app. Because if it would be this case, then you would have everything on everywhere. And um, yeah, I absolutely agree. It makes no sense to have a scanner app or a scan function in this way. Uh, maybe a function that I can scan with my document scanner on my desktop version and using my camera on the iPhone. Um, the only thing that I wondered was the voice recording. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. So I don't take pictures no, of myself. I, but I, I think I think things like that, th those are possibilities for... Um, you know, continued expansion. And, and in the most, in, in most cases here, I think there is so much room in which we could push yeah. Evernote that we're trying to find the things that will make a difference to the largest percentage of users. So let me you put, know, yeah, uh, exactly. Let me put it this way. Did you, did you, uh, have you done any, um, research? What functionality was used the most and your focus on these to really bring them back these features and all the things that I have listed here now maybe are just individual needs, but it's not the majority of the users. And obviously you have a big user base where you have a statistical <laughs> fundamental um, outcome so, there. So way back, uh, way back in the day, Phil Libin um, used to talk about Evernote having a 5% problem. And, and he called it, we have a 5% problem. The problem is that, you know, uh, users only use 5% of the features. The problem is that every user uses a different 5% of the features. Uh, yeah. and, and, and that's 100% accurate um, about, you know, the way Evernote is. I think that's and, the same for the Swiss army knife, isn't it? <laughs> it's, 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 it's so you can have a true. big one so, or you have a focused one, yeah. So when you look at, um, in particular, when you look at the desktop apps right now and, and, and where they are, the new apps, you know, what has, uh, what got prioritized for being in the desktop apps before we shipped them were features or all the features that were used by the largest cross-section of individuals. And mm -hmm. yes, we use instrumentation because the apps are instrumented. And so we know what percentage of people use what for doing which. Mm -hmm. And we basically start at the top and we work our way down. Now, we've been very open on the desktop apps and saying, we're not done. 
there's more stuff yeah. still coming. And in fact, in our uh, in the blog that announced them, we uh, called out two or three things and said, if these things are central to your workflow, it's not ready for you yet. Just mm. wait. Mm. And the challenge is, right, if you're a user and there's a feature that we haven't implemented yet that is central to your workflow, well, your answer is, well, these things are useless. Why did anybody, why did anybody GA without this thing that is vitally important to me? And, and the unfortunate answer uh, is, is not that it's not vitally important to you and that we understand that, but that actually you're probably in a small minority because if you weren't in a small minority, we would have implemented it already. That doesn't mean we won't implement it yet. Yeah. It just means we won't hold the apps up for 95, 97% of the community for another two, three, six months while we work on the two to 3% stuff that's left. And that's just basically um, a decision that on the, on the desktop side and the laptop side, we are much freer to make that decision than we are in like an iOS context. Mm. In an iOS context, you as a user can't ever go back. Once we ship you an app, you do not have, Apple doesn't give you the flexibility to say, oh, I don't want this one, I want the older mm. version. Mm. Apple refuses to give you that. So we know on iOS, when we ship, it's got to be all there. Um, but on desktop, you as a user have choices. You can actually go and run the older version. You can do all those things. So our goal there was to do the trade-off between what's good for 95% of the audience. Yeah. And obviously and the, the, and obviously the 5% left over, they're always the loudest. So. Of, uh, <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and it, it's okay. We understand. Yeah. And, um, and we're listening. And in fact, this week we will, uh, I believe this week we're shipping another version, the next version of, you know, the first fast update mm -hmm. of the desktop stuff. And, you know, I think the number one thing that people were missing, the number one complaint that we received of missing features was the ability to um, uh, change the creation date of a note, to edit the creation date of a note, because that was central to a lot of people's workflow, not to just stick with the, uh, and that wasn't in the version we shipped two weeks ago, that will be in the version we shipped this week. Oh, that's right? interesting. And so we'll just start knocking them down one at a time as we go. I would have thought that um, I can't open two notes at the desktop version or tabs you are can. gone. I can, so it was so it was me. I was asking community, <laughs> nobody told me, but I can. So it uh, wasn't. You then can it's open not notes in an obvious. extra. You have to open a new window. Yeah, that, um, that's so what I you tried. Can command yeah. click, I think, or control. There's a control option. There's open a new window, so you can right click to open a new window, and you can command click to open a new window. All right, so, so I have to check this out again because you know. Sorry to compare it to Notion, but when I go to window, there it says open a new window and I have the shortcut as well. So thanks for telling me this and maybe others are happy now as well because then I understand that me, you maybe did the decision tabs are not needed. You can just open two uh, applications. At this point, we are not implementing tabs at this point. That's correct. For We're this very reason. What happens to that uh, set of feedback, but that was not a massively heavily utilized feature. Yeah. Um, and, and so we'll, we're, we're now at the point where we have to learn from being in market. We've sort of done most of the learning we can do from beta and now we have to learn in market. Yeah. But as I said, when I can open two apps, I don't see, I personally don't see maybe somebody in the comments will <laughs> tell me different now, but yeah, thank you very much for diving in this, into this. So, um, 
interestingly, we um, covered already a lot of the community questions here. So um, the different features with the voice recording. And um, I just wanted to, there was one thing that I even didn't understand. What's the difference between a checklist and checkboxes? Why did you uh, edit one and didn't remove the other? Well, we tried. Oh, you tried? <laughs> okay, there we go. Okay. So, so this is this is uh, this is a, actually a fantastic um, example of uh, um, of learning through the beta process. So, uh, we implemented uh, checklists, which you know um, we thought were in every possible way better than checkboxes because you know you can indent them, you can nest them, you can drag subchunks around and reorder mm -hmm. them. I mean. What's not to like about this? When you check them, the thing crosses off. There's there's so many things to like, and and in uh, an early version uh, uh, of the editor, when when we uh, when we when we went out to the beta community uh, with the early version of the editor, we got two responses. One of which, wow, these are amazing, and what happened to checkboxes? And we're like, well, you don't need checkboxes. You have checklists, and then people started sharing no. Let us show you the way we use checkboxes. First, we put checkboxes in the middle of the line, not at the beginning of the line. Mm. I can't do that with a checklist. Second, I have things where I use four checkboxes in a row to represent the four stages of this task I need to go through. And I check them off one after another. Check, check. And when all four in a row are checked off, then something is done. I can't do that with a checklist. And, yeah, and so we started to realize, okay, there's this whole other uh, set of use cases for check boxes, which literally we didn't actually know about, that were not people putting the checkbox at the beginning of the line, but people using many checkboxes at once or putting them in the middle of content that checklists took away. But it's so, really interesting because isn't there also the issue for people who already have checkboxes in their notes and you just take them away? What would happen to the notes then? So, well, one of the things we looked at was we kept the checkboxes we you had, but we took away the checkbox. Uh -huh. um, I see. Uh, control. So if you were really clever, you could actually select, copy, and paste an old checkbox <laughs> and okay. and use the that. But you know, yeah, this no. might have spread over the internet. But now you left it in there anyway, so there's no okay. But, but that I was why the because there were this now, set yeah. of things. Now at some level, it's like, wow, do we really need all these things? But this goes back to the fact that. If we were introducing this app completely new, we probably would just have checklists yeah. and not checkboxes. But when you have millions and millions and millions of users with existing content uh, and existing workflows, and just something as simple as a checkbox actually can become a stumbling block uh, in, in moving across this. Now, we are doing things like, uh, I think, you you noticed in your video that if you uh, start a line with a checkbox and you type something in and you go to the next line, it doesn't give you another checkbox. And that's really frustrating uh, because part of it is, well, you should be using checklists, not checkboxes. So we removed that. But what we are now doing, I believe, again, in the version that goes out this week is if you start your line with a checkbox, when you hit return, we'll actually convert it into a checklist and make a checklist on the next item. So we will try and train you 
over onto the new more powerful way to start lines with checkboxes. Mm -hmm. Now, if you put one in the middle of the line, we won't just, we won't change it. Mm -hmm. But at the beginning of the line, we will automatically convert, update you to a checklist and start the next line with a new checklist. So is there an so easy way like using then my keyboard to convert it back if I don't want to have a checklist? Uh, I believe there is a way to convert it back. Uh, I couldn't tell I you what it is. I would highly recommend adding this because <laughs> if I just want to have one line yes. and I go to the next line, I have to reach out to my mouse or to, to point no, something. No, no, you just hit backspace. If, for that case, That's what I mean, just, yeah. Just backspace and backspace then it's not a check, checklist. Yeah. It's just a line. Okay, I understand. Okay. Thank you. I did also notice, by the way, that you tried some markdown in your demo. Yeah, I forgot about this. I already get the, the answer in the comments. Um, Put a space after it and it would have worked great. <laughs> Yeah, there was there was there wasn't really markdown either, but well, there's no bold and there's no italics markdown. I agree. Like we, don't, we don't we don't claim to support all of markdown. Yeah, but we have the headlines time, there. I, I learned progress. that in the comments, and I also mentioned there that Evernote is still my main document management system or not my note taking. So I apologize for this. So it is there, and so it's everybody okay. heard now. Tom made a mistake in markdown. Uh, I can take that, no problem. That it was really interesting. Um, and when we talk, let's stay in the in the um, community feedback, or let's let's put it the, the, the use user research area. Yeah, so we're talking about UX and um, or actually UI in this case, where you move the text down to the bottom and it's not on top anymore. So I'm sure these are single. Um, Oh, it's also the uh, my, my majority in your beta testers who gave you the feedback and so on, and there must be a reason why it's on the bottom now. Do you have a reason for that? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, is it, it a technical reason or is it a user reason? Definitely one of the more controversial changes amongst people who are heavy tag users. Mm -hmm. um, the issue is that tag users uh, are less than 2% of our audience. Mm. And so the question comes, do we put that real estate up at the top of the window for the other 98% of the audience, or do we move it down um, to the bottom where it can A, get a lot of space um, uh, and so make sense for people who use tags, uh, but not be so much in the way uh, for the 98% of users who don't. And that is fundamentally what drove that decision. We know that uh, there's a lot of angst about it amongst the tag users. Um, we know some tag users like it and are used to it, but probably most tag users do not. So I'm not going to try to convince you otherwise. We are looking at whether or not that is something we can make configurable so that it's at the bottom uh, by default. But if you want to move it to the top, mm -hmm. um, then you can do that so that that 2% can put it at the top and the 98% aren't bothered by having it at the top. It, it really is a function of wanting to expose the functionality to 100% of users, but not take up the real estate um, required to do it. You know why I, I wouldn't mind where it is anyway, if I can just include it in my text. So if I write a tag in my text, that it automatically yep. applies. I think that's the simplest solution. I mean, maybe not simple to implement, but this is something um, um, I also so want I, to go into this direction now, actually being inside the text. So yeah, you wanted to say something I, to that? I think uh, 
again, just like the, um, the new app is a platform, the new editor is a platform for us. And you will see things moving in the new editor uh, faster than you have before. And so um, issues like type ahead and being able to do things in line are absolutely on our agenda for things we're going to be doing in, in the future. Um, and so uh, there are a number of aspects there where we would expect uh, over the course of the next six to 12 months to be starting to bring stuff in that is going to be really powerful for power users who want to learn you know, like as uh, you know, ways to get direct access to things in line as they're typing, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Well, that's really interesting to hear now and I'm getting excited a bit here. Maybe too much hope, I don't know, you have to tell me. But um, when I used Evernote and I tried and tried again to use it as a note-taking app as well or build up my knowledge management system, one thing that I was searching all over the place was building up mind maps out of my notes, get proper connections between my notes. And um, I know that I can just put a link into there and link it to another node and so, but this is just interrupting my creative workflow. And that's what I'm do, uh, teaching in my inner circle as well. We want to have a, um, a productivity system that is seamlessly integrated with all the different parts, which is note-taking, knowledge management, task management. Um, now looking at Rome research. So this just came out then, and this uh, introduced the backlinks and the cross-functionality. Out of the sudden, Notion also implemented the backlinks. And um, I think from a technically point of view, it is not that hard to implement this, isn't it? To you know, make a mention, you have a search in, in your text, and then you add the other uh, node, so you can build up a connection. And just to go further there, um, making a visual map out of this. Um, it is nowadays just, yeah, there are engines out of this. So um, Rome Research was just implementing this first, but it is no magic. That's why I wondered already back two years and so on, why there is nothing. Um, so yeah. I think uh, one of the things that I like about what's going on in the market right now is that there is a lot of innovation going on in the market. And uh, you know, for a long time, the, the sort of personal productivity market, you know, uh, wasn't so exciting uh, for a while. And right now there's, there's a lot going on. Notion has a strong point of view about what they're trying to do. Rome has a really strong point of view about what they're trying to do. Um, and I think, uh, you know, they are definitely both building on um, the foundation that in lots of ways Evernote created um, out in the market and, you know, they're, and, and they're taking an, a point of view on here's how we think we can make it better, which, which I think is, is good. We fully plan to make things better too. <laughs> um, uh, that's the reason we spent the last two years doing this. Uh, I think um, to your point, one of my observations about, um, uh, about Rome and about Evernote is that we haven't spent a lot of time um, focusing on helping you think. Um, we have, uh, you know, the the mission of the vision of Evernote was always to be your second brain, uh, to be your external brain, uh, in particular. And for a long time, that con 
got translated into a mantra of remember everything. And so a lot of what Evernote was about was remembering. And one of the things that I think Rome is about is, is thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and that results in a very different set of functionality and a very different um, focus. Uh, I don't think thinking is um, inconsistent with, the vi- with a vision of being your external brain. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we have, we have talked um, uh, externally about we want to expand the mantra from being remember everything to be remember everything and accomplish anything. And we want to start being able to turn this uh, system that is excellent at remembering into a system that helps you get things done. And there's lots of different dimensions to helping you get things done. One of them is thinking. And I think in that world of thinking, it's it's fair to say that that backlinks have become something that is interesting. Uh, and um, I'm not going to commit to future roadmap here because <laughs> no worries. you just you just end up playing what I call feature bingo. Everybody says this feature, implementing that, and you end up with like yeah, this I know. But Ian, Ian, stuff. I have to but, say, for me, it is so obvious. Looking at Evernote and the capabilities when you when I look at the search engine, you have the power of Google behind that. You already went into this direction even before you started the rebranding by having a powerful web clipper and presenting the notes in the Google search function. So when I search something in Google, I get my notes and I say, oh, I already searched for this already. So that's the remembering you're mentioning there. So I absolutely think that when you put in some AI that realizes what you forget (laughs) or something like that, um, you might uh, have a really good chance to to uh, get back pace uh, to the competitors. So we're talking about already competitive uh, competition. And that's really interesting to see that you're not committing, but you see also what I'm talking about, because you're nodding I heavily. Think, <laughs> I think anybody, you know, uh, I don't think any company is ever in the business of doing, you know, what their competitors do. That's never the strategy. But any company that doesn't learn, they learn from their users, but they also learn from competitors. Mm. And you know, I think that there are competitors out there to learn from now, and um, I am sure we'll be learning from them as well. Which things we choose to pick up and which things we choose not to pick up, you will see over time. Yeah. But uh, certainly, um, I think there are there are things for us to learn from what Rome and Notion are doing in market. And I absolutely understand that this is now the right time to think about these things. Because when I started uh, the paperless movement, I was talking about handwriting note-taking apps on the iPad. And that was just the way I went paperless. But in fact, and that's what I'm, I'm teaching as well, or coaching as well, you have, we have to understand that note-taking is just putting information somewhere. And what we just did with the digital journals and all this, something that I even sell on my own website for people who are used to a paper journal or paper planner, they can do a replicate exactly the same um, experience and uh, sensation on the iPad. So they're don't have to interrupt their workflows. And it is a seamless transition from paper to digital. However, Notability, GoodNotes, uh, NodeShelf, all these apps, they work great when it comes to handwriting, but it ends there. There is no connection to other applications. So I can't build up a proper knowledge management system the way we could do 
nowadays and looking at Notion and Roam. And Notion also is very limited. And I think that's a big advantage of Evernote still, that you have connection in, in any app. You have APIs all over the place where I can connect my automation, looking at filterized as deeply integrates in Evernote and automates things and all this. And Notion, you can't even have a recurring task or something like that. So this is still where you're way ahead when it comes to these points. Um, but getting back to the point that it is the right time because with uh, Rome research and Notion and backlinks and people talking about this, the understanding of leveraging knowledge and the flood of information we got on a daily basis and filtering this in a proper way, um, this was just not possible a few years ago. I couldn't have explained people why I need a, a integrated connection between my notes because they were so structured with their paper-based note-taking. And I know a lot of people using uh, used Evernote uh, um, when I started going paperless. And they just replicated taking notes there. Right. But they could have just write, written it on a post-it and pasted somewhere. There was no system behind this. So, yeah, that was a long talk, but I think um, that's exciting times now. We, we have always viewed that um, Evernote is not important what's important is what people do with evernote mm. that's always always being true inside the company that the app is just a vehicle uh for people to actually do things that are are much more meaningful and and obviously what's meaningful depends on the person for for somebody it it might be helping them in their real estate business for somebody else it might be helping with their kids football team for somebody else it might be um, you know, writing a play or curing cancer or anything you want to pick in that. I mean, literally someone doing everything somewhere in Evernote. And so, um, you know, when Stepan started the business, uh, when Stepan created the business and his vision was to be your external brain, the only thing you could aspire to from a technical standpoint was remembering. There was pretty much nothing else you could reasonably aspire to at that point. Yeah. Um, Technology has come a long way in 20 years, yeah. and there's no question that we should be able to do more than just help people remember. Um, and know, it was always we, the we power be able of to help them turn those, yeah. turn that content into some kind of action, some kind of activity, some kind of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's really where we're trying to go. But again, led by what are what is the largest set of people doing in Evernote today that we don't really help them do very much that you know, we could do better. And that's what's going to guide us over the course of the next year. Yeah. So that's good to hear that you actually at least aware of this wave of new knowledge management um, systems coming up there and the new way we, we approach this. Uh, absolutely agree with the um, remembering thing. It was already easier to put it into Evernote or any other system where I can search my notes. There was also the thing that the, the, the big... Uh, when I said, if you have a hand, you know, if you have a notebook and you take notes and you do it in Notability or wherever and you have OCR there and you make your notes searchable, this is still for so many people a big, big win because they can search their notes. And this was something that Evernote was doing also all the time. But with the advantage that I can handwrite now, this is this was the, the game changer when the iPad and the Apple Pencil and all this came up. Um, but now the people real, realize it's becoming hard to, to search this. So yeah, that was a really interesting talk here um, about this area. So to summing things up, maybe, um, Ian, give us uh, a, a brief 
preview of the next three years. Or let's say yeah, 10 years, then the three years and 10 years, because in 10 years we have the, <laughs> the loop again when systems no longer work. So, <laughs> um, I think when you start to look out over many years, uh, I start to think about Evernote truly acting as your external brain. You can think of it as your knowledge wingman or your knowledge co-pilot or whatever, um, uh, you know, whatever you want to think of it as. But there's no reason that um, Evernote shouldn't be able to help you move from remembering to accomplishing and also help be more proactive in getting you the information that you need when you need it. Hmm. Um, you know, Evernote from the beginning of time has always... Uh, if you allow it to, if you consent to it, has always uh, uh, recorded the the geography of where you make a note. Um, that's that was something that Stefan believed in from the beginning because his point was that if I have if I have the the time at which you made a note and the place in which you made a note, that is unique. Yeah. Because you, as an individual, can only be in one place at one time. Um, that's and, what day one actually yet, did uh, when they came out, yeah? So I can look at the places I wear and I have exactly the notes I were, or my thoughts I had at this place, yeah. And, and, and yet we're not particularly using that information in a really strong way to sort of be able to say, oh, I don't know, you've arrived at home, so maybe the notes that are most relevant to you are the ones that are home notes as opposed to work notes. Um, if you use Evernote in both your lives and things like that. And so I think where we're trying to go over three years is really um, today Evernote is a tool where um, you do all the work in a lot of ways, and then you reap the reward of having put the information and you can search things, you can find things, whatever. Mm. But Evernote isn't doing that much work for you. Mm. And we'd like to start to shift that burden where Evernote is increasingly doing more of the work for you. And so it is helping accelerate you. But I have um, the feeling that you started this already. When I look at, you know, you're bringing up these um, related notes and this might be related to the other. So this already felt like that you, uh, you know, looking we into what We have experimented in the space. I don't think we have yet cracked the code, um, okay. but, you know, we are getting there. and and. And my observation is uh, in the new search function is a very simple example that in the new search function, when you, um, you know, click into the search box, um, it immediately suggests, are you looking for any of the following things before you actually type the very first keystroke? So it's like um, the series of suggestions, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And one of our goals is we should get to the point that actually you don't have to search for anything. Uh, it's already there. Now, obviously that would be magic mm. and we can't pull off magic, but um, we are driving that percentage uh, of searches that resolve in a suggestion successfully higher and higher and higher and driving things like the number of suggestions that get clicked on without your typing a single keystroke because we're trying to get to the point that, you know, in a perfect world, wouldn't it be interesting if you had your phone, you opened your Evernote and it actually showed you the note you were looking for before you actually were looking for it. 
um, you know, but that you, would be a nice <clears throat> place to be. Yeah, that sounds uh, that sounds also. I mean, uh, <laughs> that's a really interesting talk. I can't stop here, but um, just want to mention one more thing. People love Notion because they can't just place it the way they want it and build their dashboards and all this. But the fact is, and that's something people didn't understand when G-Drive was actually uh, published for the first time, people said, where's my folder structure? I, I can't, you know, the hierarchy is not there. And it's the same in Notion, you have the hierarchies. And that's also something when we say it's such such a small percentage of people using text and all this. Um, if you have a powerful search engine, you actually don't need to have to have a you know, everything in place because in Notion, I'm still searching for stuff. And when I use yeah. the search function, um, it is not as powerful as Evernote. That's just the case. So, um, yeah, there, thank you very much for giving us these insights, Ian. Um, I think the 10-year the thing um, we will see in 10 years then. So I'm already excited for just next 365 days and to see what comes there. Um, I also think we... We addressed a lot of elephants in the room here. <laughs> I had to bring this up. And okay. uh, I also we love meds. <laughs> we bring meds in whenever possible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. And um, I thank you very much for, for being on the call. And it was really, really insightful. Um, I really enjoyed this call. Thank you very much. So I'm anything you want, to, any, any final words you want to give to my community? I think that I think the main thing is is for people as two things. One, for people to understand that this is um, just the start. Uh, you know, I, I know it feels like it's the end because it's been a long way, but for us, this is absolutely just the start. And you will see that you know over the next three and six months mm -hmm. in absolutely concrete terms. Um, and I think the second thing I would say is quite honestly, thank you. Because uh, for a company to go silent for 18 to 24 months and then, and, 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 you know, yes, we had videos and we communicated and all the rest, but we didn't really release much software. And for people to stick with us um, uh, while we went through that journey is, um, is, is incredibly generous of our users and, and ultimately, we are doing all of this for the users so that we can get back to having a live and dynamic and evolving application that is once again leading through innovation, um, which is what we think everybody at the end of the day wants. Um, but the journey to get here has been a long one. And uh, absolutely, I appreciate um, you know, the patience that so many of our users have shown in sticking with us through this process. Thank you very much, Ian. Uh, I really appreciate that. And I'm sure a lot of viewers do this as well. Okay, then uh, I see I you look next time. I forward <laughs> to seeing you again soon when I have new features to talk well, about. Well, I can't wait to talk about this with you uh, in the next interview. Yeah, it would be brilliant to have you back and talk about these. So you committed already within the next three months that we see something. So I will uh, book a slot now. <laughs> Well, this already, so you have to <laughs> <Excellent>. deliver. <laughs> I have faith I'll be talking to you by January, one way or the other. Okay, awesome. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ian. All right, take care. So I think this was an awesome interview. I really got an in-depth insight behind the scenes of Evernote and especially the future plans of Evernote are really exciting. I think there isn't a lot of content about there when it comes to 
looking at Evernote as a knowledge management system regarding building up a dynamic digital brain like Rome Research and Notion. So this was especially for me very interesting to hear. And as you heard already from Ian, that he is committed to get back on the show in January where we will talk about the newest features. So this means without, within the next three months, we will see a lot of new features coming out. And I absolutely understand that they now have the foundation they can build on. And we will check if this is true within three months. If you don't want to miss this or other interviews that I will have in the future, make sure you subscribe to this channel and tell your friends about the paperless movement so I can catch you up next time.